Section two of the mystery of the ocean star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The mystery of the ocean star by W. Clark Russell. Section two The extraordinary adventure of a chief mate. In the newspapers of 1876 appeared the following extracts from the log of a merchantman volcanic island in the north atlantic the ship hercules of liverpool lately arrived in the mercy reports as follows march 23rd in two degrees 12 minutes north latitude 33 degrees 27 minutes west longitude a shock of earthquake was felt and shortly afterwards a mass of land was hove up at a distance of about two miles from the ship michael balfour the chief officer fell overboard a buoy was thrown to him the ship brought to the wind and a boat lowered within fifteen minutes of the occurrence but though the men sought the chief mate for some time nothing could be seen of him and it is supposed that he sank shortly after falling into the sea masters of vessels are recommended to keep a sharp lookout in approaching the situation of the new island as given above no doubt it will be sighted by other ships and duly reported i am michael balfour it was i who fell overboard and it is needless for me to say here that i was not drowned the volcanic island was only reported by one other ship and the reason why will be read at large in this account of my strange adventure and merciful deliverance it was the evening of the 23rd of March 1876 our passage to the equator from Sydney had been good But for three days we had been bothered with light headwinds and calms and since four o'clock this day The ocean had stretched in oil smooth undulations to its margin with never a sigh of air to crispen its marvelous serenity into shadow the courses were hauled up the staysails down the mizzen brailed up the canvas delicately beat the masts to the soft swing of the tall spars and sent a small rippling thunder through the still air like the roll of drums heard at a distance the heat was great i had never remembered a more biting sun the pitch in the seams was soft as putty the atmosphere was full of the smell of blistered paint and it was like putting your hand on a red-hot stove to touch the binnacle hood or grasp for an instant an iron belaying pin a sort of loathing comes into a man with a calm like this the very deep did rot says the poet and you understand his fancy when you mark the blind heave of the swell to the sun standing in the midst of a sky of brass with his wake under him sinking in a sinuous dazzle as though it was his fiery glance piercing to the green depths a thousand fathoms deep it was hot enough to slacken the nerves and give the imagination a longer scope than sanity would have it ride by and that was why perhaps i found something awful and forbidding in the sunset though at another time it might scarcely have detained my gaze a minute but it is true nevertheless that others besides me gaped at the wonderful gushings of hot purple arrested whirlpools of crimson haze they looked in the heart of which the orb sat rayless 
flooding the sea with blood under him so magnificently fell was the hue and flushing the sky with twenty dyes of gold and orange till in the far east the radiance fainted into the delicacy of pale umber yon's a sunset said captain matthews a north of england man to me to make a fellow think of the last day i'm looking at it sir said i as though i had never seen a sunset before that's the oddest part of it to my mind there's fire enough there to eat a gale up how should a cat's paw crawl then and i softly whistled whilst he wetted his finger and held it up but to no purpose the draught was all between the rails and they blew forward and aft with every swing of the sails when the dusk came along the silence upon the sea was something to put all sorts of moods into a man the sky was a hovering velvet stretch of stars with a young moon lying curled among them and winkings of delicate violet sheet lightning down in the southwest as though some gigantic tinted lantern passing flung its light upon the dark blue obscure there the captain went below after a long and impatient look around and i overhang the rail peering into the water alongside or sending my gaze into the frightful distance where the low-lying stars hung with every soft dip of the ship's side to the slant of the dark folds there shot forth puffs of cloudy phosphor intermixed with the sparkling of sharper fires now and again blue yellow and green like worms of flame striking out of their cocoons of misty radiance the noise of the canvas on high resembled the stirrings of pinions and the cheap of a block the grind of apparel helping the illusion as though the sounds were the voices of huge birds restlessly beating their pinions aloft presently the man at the wheel startled me with an observation i went to him and he pointed upwards with a long shadowy arm i looked and saw a corpuscent as it is called at sea a saint elmo's fire burning at the end of the crossjack yard the yard lay square and the polished sea beneath gave back the reflection so clearly that the mystic fire lay like a huge glow-worm on the black mirror there should be wind not far off said the helmsman in a subdued voice for few sailors can see one of these lights without a stirring of his superstitious instincts and this particular exhalation hung close to us i hope so said i though i don't know where it's to come from as i spoke the light vanished i ran my eye over the yards expecting its reappearance but it returned no more and the sails rose pale and phantom-like to the stars i was in an odd humor and this was an apparition not to brighten one up of course one knows all about these marine corpse candles and can explain their nature but nevertheless the sudden kindling of them upon the darkness of the night in the dead hush of the calm or amidst the fury of the shrieking hurricane produces feelings which there is nothing in science to resolve i could have laughed to find myself sending a half-awed look aloft as if i expected to see some visionary hand at work upon another one of these graveyard illuminations with the stealing out of some large sad face to the melancholy glow but i returned to the side very pensive for all that and there stood watching the fiery outline of a shark subtly sneaking close to the surface insomuch that the wake of its fin slipped away in little coils of green flame towards the ship's bows half an hour later 
the dark curl of a light air of wind shattered the starlight in the sea and our canvas fell asleep i called to the watch to trim sail and in a few moments the decks were busy with the figures of men pulling and hauling and surging out of the ropes in sulky slumberous growlings the captain arrived little worth having in this i fear said he but make the most of it make the most of it get the fore topmast stim sail run up if she creeps but a league it's a league to the good the sail was sleepily set um buggering about with stun sails to the cat's paws little pleased the men especially at night for three days they had been box hauling the yards about to no purpose and it was sickening work running stun sail booms out to airs that died in their struggles to reach us however there was a draught at last and the old gurgling and moaning sounds of the breathless sluggish swell washing heavily like liquid lead to the sides were replaced by the tinkling noises of waters parting at the bows with a pretty little seething of expiring foam and the hiss of exploding froth bells at eleven o'clock the light breeze was still holding and the ship was floating softly through the dusk the pairing of moon swaying like a silver sickle over the port mizzen topsail yardarm everything quiet along the decks no light save the sheen from the lamps in the binnacle and nothing stirring but the figure of a man on the forecastle pacing athwartships and blotting out at every step a handful of the stars which lay like dust on the blackness under the yawn of the forecourse on a sudden a steamer's light showed on the starboard bow a green beam and a yellow one above with the water on fire beneath them and sparks floating away upon her coil of smoke that made you think of the spangles of a falling rocket she went past swiftly at no great distance from us there was not a moan in the hot breeze to disturb the wonderful ocean stillness and you almost thought you caught the beating of the iron heart in her and the curious monotonous songs which engines sing as they work she swept past like a phantom running a line of illuminated windows along which resembled a row of street lamps out in the darkness and as she came on to our quarter she struck seven bells half past eleven the rich metallic notes of which i clearly heard and with the trembling of the last stroke upon the ear her outline melted at that instant a peculiar thrill ran through the ship it may be likened to the trembling in a floor when a heavy wagon passes in the street outside it was over in a breath but i could have sworn that it was not my fancy i walked aft to the wheel and said to the man did you notice anything just now seemed to me as if the vessel trembled like he replied as he spoke the ship shook again this time strongly it was something more than a shudder the sensation was for all the world as though she had scraped over a shoal of rock or shingle there was a little clatter below a noise of a broken glass the watch who had been dozing on deck sprang to their feet and their ejaculations of surprise and fear rolled in a growl among them the captain ran out of the companionway in his shirt and trousers what was that mr belfour he bawled either the shock of an earthquake said i or a whale sliding along our keel get a cast of the lead get a cast of the lead he shouted this was done to the full scope of the handline without bottom of course by this time the watch below had tumbled up and all hands were now on deck staring aloft or over the side sniffing spitting muttering and wondering what had happened there's that bloomin come precent come again exclaimed a hoarse voice and sure enough a light 
similar to the one that had hung at the crossjack yard arm now floated upon the end of the upper main topsail yard the devil's abroad tonight exclaimed the captain there's sulphur enough about and he fell a snuffing what followed might have made an infidel suppose so for scarce were the words out of his mouth when there happened an astonishing blast of noise as loud and violent as that of forty or fifty cannons fired off at once and out of the black sea no further than a mile broad on the starboard beam rose a pillar of fire crimson as the light of the setting sun and as dazzling too it stayed whilst you might have counted twenty but in that time it lighted up the sea for leagues and leagues put out the stars and made the sky resemble a canopy of yellow satin we on the ship saw one another's faces as if by daylight the shrouds and masts and our own figures cast jet black shadows on the deck the whole ship flashed out to that amazing radiance like a fabric sun touched the column of fire then flattened and disappeared and the night rolled down upon our blinded eyes as black as thunder there was no noise no hissing as of boiling water if the furious report that preceded the leap of the fire had rendered its coming terrible its extinction was made not less awful by the tomb-like stillness that attended it i sprang on to the rail believing i could perceive a dark mass like a deeper dye upon the blackness that way upon the water and to steady myself caught hold of the mizzen loyal backstay swinging out to my arm's length and peering with all my might my excitement was great and the consternation that possessed the ship's crew was upon me as i leaned the vessel heeled violently to a large swell caused by the volcanic disturbances the roll was extraordinarily severe heaving the vessel down to her covering board and the great hill of water running silent and in darkness through the sea so that it could neither be viewed nor heard made the sickening lurch a dreadful surprise and wonder it was in that moment that i fell overboard i suppose my grip of the backstay relaxed when the ship lay down but let the thing have happened how it would in a breath i was under water it is said that the swiftness of thought is best shown by dreams this may be so yet i cannot believe that thought was ever swifter in a dream than it was in me ere i came to the surface for in those few seconds i gathered exactly what had befallen me wondered whether my fall had been seen whether i should be saved realized my hopeless condition if i had not been observed and above all was thinking steadfastly and with horror of the shark i had not long ago watched stemming in fire past the ship i was a very indifferent swimmer and what little power i had in that way was like to be paralyzed by thoughts of the shark i rose and fetched a breath shook the water out of my eyes and looked for the ship she had been sliding along at the rate of about four knots an hour but had she been sailing at ten she could not seem to have gone further from me during the brief while i was submerged from the edge of the water where my eyes were she appeared a towering pale shadow about a mile off i endeavored to scream out but whether the cold of the plunge had bereft me of my voice or that i had swallowed water enough to stop my pipes I found I could utter nothing louder than a small groan. I made several strokes with my arms, and suddenly spied a life-boy floating about twenty yards ahead of me. I made for it in a transport of joy, for the sight of it was all the assurance I could ask that they knew on the ship 
that I had tumbled overboard, and coming to the buoy, I seized and threw it over my head, and then got it under my arms, and so floated. The breeze, such as it was, was on the ship's quarter, and she would need to describe a considerable arc before she rounded to. I could hear very faintly the voices on board, the flinging down of coils of rope, the dim echoes of hurry and commotion. I again sought to exert my lungs, but could deliver no louder note than a moan. The agony of mind I was under, lest a shark should seize me, I cannot express. And my strained eyeballs would come from the tall shadow of the ship to the sea about me in a wild searching of the liquid ebony of it for the sparkling configuration of the most abhorred of all fish. I could have sworn that hours elapsed before they lowered a boat from the ship that seemed to grow fainter and fainter every time I looked at her. So swallowing is the character of ocean darkness, and so subtle, apparently, so fleet, in fact, the settling away of a fabric under canvas from an object stationary on the water, I could distinctly hear the rattle of the oars in the rowlocks and the splash of the dipped blades, but could not discern the boat. It was speedily evident, however, that they were pulling wide of me. My ear could not mistake. Again I tried to shout, but to no purpose. Manifestly, no one had thought of taking my bearings when I fell, and I, who lay south, was being sought for southwest. Time passed. The boat never approached me within a quarter of a mile. They must instantly have heard me, could I have hallowed, but my throat refused its office. I reckoned that they continued to row here and there for about a half hour, during which they were several times hailed by the captain, as I supposed. The sound of the oars then died. A little later I heard the very faint noises made by their hoisting the boat and hauling it in upon the braces, and then there was nothing for me to do but to watch, with dying eyes, the shadow of the ship till it faded, and the stars shone where she had been. The sky shed very little light, and there was no foam to cast an illumination of its own. However, by this time, as you will suppose, I was used to my situation. That is to say, the horror and novelty of my condition had abated and settled into a miserable feeling of despair, so that I was like a dying man who had passed days in an open boat, and who languidly directs his eyes over the gunwale at the sea with a hopelessness that is bred by familiarity with his dreadful posture. It was some time after the ship had melted into the airy dusk that I seemed to notice for the first time since I had been in the life-buoy the lump of blackness at which I had been straining my eyes when the vessel heeled and I fell. It had the elusiveness of a light at sea, that is best seen at a distance by gazing a little to one side of it. It lay a black mass, and whether it was a vast huddle of weeds, or a great whale killed by the earthquake, or solid land uphove by the volcanic rupture, was not conjecturable. It hung still, and not very tall, for I could not see that it put out any stars, and was about a mile distant. Whatever it might prove, I could not be worse off near, or on, or amidst it, than I was here. So, setting my face towards it, I began to strike out with my legs and arms. The water was so fiery, it chipped in flashes to every blow of my hands. I swam in the utmost terror, never knowing but that the next moment I should be feeling the teeth of a shark upon my legs for the sparkling of the sea to my kicks and motions was signal enough for such a beast, if it was a league distant. 
but I may as well say here that there is no doubt the shock of earthquake and the flame effectually cleared the sea in its neighborhood of every kind of fish that floated in it, though the hope of such a thing could yield me but very little comfort whilst I swam. I continued to make good progress, and presently approached the block of blackness, for so it looked, perceived that it was certainly land, a solid rock, in short, the head of some mountainous submarine formation lifted ten or twelve feet above the sea. I could now discern a faintness of vapor circling up from it and showing like steam against the stars. Its front stretched a length of a few hundred feet. How far it went behind I could not tell. A small sound of creaming waters came from it, produced by the light swell washing its shelter side. It lay all in a line of grayish darkness even when I was quite close, and I could see nothing but the shapeless body of it. On a sudden, my feet struck ground, and I waded thirty paces along a shelf that was under water till my paces lifted to the dry beach. But by this time I was fearfully exhausted. I could scarcely breathe. My legs and arms were numbed to the weight of lead. The atmosphere was warm, but not unbearably so, not hotter than it had been at noon in the ship. Steam crawled up from every pore like the drainings of smoke from damp straw, but it did not add to the distress of my breathing. I made shift to stagger onwards till I had gone about fifty feet from the wash of the sea. Nature then broke down, my knees gave way, I stumbled and fell, whether in a swoon or whether in a death-like slumber I cannot say. All I can tell is that when I awoke or recovered my senses, the sun stood fifteen degrees above the horizon, and I opened my eyes upon a hot and dazzling sky. I sat up in the utmost amazement. My mind for some time was all abroad, and I could recollect nothing. Memory then entered me with a bound, and I staggered to my feet with a cry. The first thing I took notice of was that my clothes were nearly dry, which was not very reconcilable with the steam that was still issuing from the island, though it was, as I say, my bones ached cruelly, but I was not sensible of any particular languor. The brilliance was so blinding that I had to employ my eyes very warily in order to see, and it was not until I had kept opening and shutting them and shading them with my hands for some minutes that they acquired their old power. The island on which I stood had unquestionably been hove up in the night by the earthquake. I cannot figure it better than by asking you to imagine a gigantic mass of pumice stone, somewhat flat on top, and shelving on all sides very gently to the water, lying afloat, but steady on the sea. It was of the hue of pumice, and as clean as an eggshell without a grain of calcined dust, or any appearance of scoria that I could anywhere observe. It was riddled with holes, some wide and deep, a very honeycomb, and that I did not break my neck or a limb in my staggering walk from the beach in the darkness. I must ever account the most miraculous part of my adventure. But what, when I had my whole wits, riveted my attention, and held me staring open-mouthed, as though in good truth the apparition of the devil had arisen before me, was the body of a ship, leaning on its bilge, at not more than a gunshot from where I stood, looking towards the interior, when my eyes first went to the thing, I could not believe them. I imagined it some trick of the volcanic explosion that had fashioned a portion of the land of rock, as it may be called, into the likeness of a ship. But on gazing steadfastly, 
I saw that it was indeed a vessel rendered extraordinarily beautiful and wonderful by being densely covered with shells of a hundred different kinds by which her bulk was enlarged though her shape was preserved bright fountains of water were gushing from fifty places in her all these waterfalls shone like rainbows and showed surprisingly soft and lovely against the velvet green of the moss and the gray and kaleidoscope tints of the shells upon her lost in amazement i made my way towards her and stood viewing her at a short distance she had three lower masts standing one right in the bows and the mizzen raking very much aft all three masts were supported by shrouds and that was all the rigging the sea had left she looked to be made of shells and moss her shrouds and masts were encrusted as thickly as her hull she was a mere tub of a ship in shape being scarce twice as long as she was broad with great fat buttocks a very tall stern narrowing atop and low bows with a prodigious curve to the stemhead i am not well versed in the shipping of olden times but i would have willingly staked all i was worth in the world that the fabric before me belonged to a period not much later than the days of columbus and that she had been sunk at least three centuries below the sea and it was also perfectly clear to me that she had risen in the daylight out of her green and oozy sepulchre with the upheaval of the bed on which she lay to the convulsion that had produced this island but my situation was not one to suffer me to stand long idly wondering and staring the moment i brought my eyes away from the ship to the mighty desolation of the blue and gleaming ocean a horror broke over me my heart turned into lead and then the anguish of my spirits i involuntarily lifted my clenched hands to god what was to become of me i had no boat no means of making anything to bear me nothing but the life buoy that was no better than a trap for sharks to tear me to pieces in i was thirsty but there was no fresh water on this steaming speck of rock and i tell you the knowing that there was none and that unless rain fell i must die of thirst had like to have driven me mad where the ship was and beyond it the island rose somewhat in the form of a gentle undulation i walked that way and there obtained a view of the whole island which was very nearly circular like the head of a hill somewhat after the shape of a saucepan lid it resembled a great mass of sponge to the sight and there was no break upon its surface save the encrusted ship which did indeed form a very conspicuous object happening to look downward i spied a large dead fish of the size of a cod of sixteen or eighteen pounds lying a dry in a hole i put my arm down and dragged it out and hoping by appeasing my hunger to help my thirst somewhat i opened my knife and cut out a little raw steak and ate it the moisture in the flesh refreshed me and that the sun might not spoil the carcass i carried it to the shadow made by the ship and put it under one of the waterfalls that the play might keep it sweet there was plenty more dead fish in the numerous holes and i picked out two and put them in the shade but i knew that the great heat must soon taint them and rot the rest whence would come a stench that might make the island poisonous to me i sat down under the bends of the ship for the shadow it threw and gazed at the sea perhaps i ought to have felt grateful for the miraculous creation of this spot of land when but for it i must have miserably perished in the life buoy 
dying a most dreadful, slow, tormenting death, if some shark had not quickly dispatched me. But the solitude was so frightful, my doom seemed so assured, I was threatened with such dire sufferings ere my end came, that in the madness and despair of my heart I could have cursed the intervention of this rock, which promised nothing but the prolongation of my misery. There was but one live spark amid the ashes of my hopes, namely, that the island lay in the highway of ships, and that it was impossible a vessel could sight so unusual an object without deviating from her course to examine it. That was all the hope I had. But God knows there was nothing in it to keep me alive, when I set off against it the consideration that there was no water on the island, no food, that a ship would have to sail close to remark so flat and little a point as this rock, and that days, ay, and weeks might elapse before the rim of yonder boundless surface, stretching in airy leagues of deep blue to the azure sky at the horizon, should be broken by the star-like shining of a sail. Happily, the wondrous encrusted bulk was at hand to draw my thoughts away from my hideous condition, for I verily believe had my eye found nothing to rest upon but the honeycomb pumice, my brain would have given way. I stood up, and took a long look of the petrified shell-covered structure, feeling a sort of awe in me when I looked, for it was a kind of illustration of the saying of the sea giving up its dead, and the thing stirred me almost as though it had been a corpse that had risen to the sun, after having been a secret of the deep for three hundred years. It occurred to me that if I could board her, she might furnish me with a shelter from the dew of the night. She had channels with long plates, all looking as if they were formed of shells, and stepping round to the side towards which she leaned, I found the four channel plates to be within reach of my hands. The shells were slippery and cutting, but I was a sailor, and there would have been nothing in a harder climb than this to daunt me. So after a bit of a struggle, I succeeded in hauling myself into the chains, and thence easily dragged myself over the rail on to the deck. The sight between the bulwarks was far more lovely and surprising than the spectacle presented by the ship's sides. For the deck seemed not only formed of shells of a hundred different hues, but there was a great abundance of branching corals, white as milk, and marine plants of kinds for which I could not find names, of several brilliant colors, so that with the delicate velvet of the moss, the dark shades of seaweed, of figurations as dainty as those of ferns, and the different sorts of shells, big and little, all lying as solid as if they had been set in concrete, the appearance of the ship submitted was something incredibly fantastic and admirable. Whether the hatches were on or not, I could not tell, so thickly coated were the decks. But whether or not, the deposits and marine growths rendered the surface as impenetrable as iron, and I believe it would have kept a small army of laborers plying their pickaxes for a whole week to have made openings into the hold through that shelly coating of mail. My eye was taken by a peculiar sort of protuberance at the foot of the mainmast. It stood as high as I did, and had something of the shape of a man, and indeed, after staring at it for some time, I perceived that it had been a man, that is to say, it was a human skeleton, filled up to the bulk of a living being by the shells and barnacles which covered it. Ashore it might have passed for some 
odd imitation in shells of the human figure but viewing it as i did in the midst of that great ocean amidst the frightful solitude of the great dome of heaven in a ship that was like the handiwork of the sea gods at the bottom of the deep i say looking at it as i did and knowing the thing had had life in centuries past and had risen thus wildly garnished out of the unfathomable secret heart of the ocean it awed me to an extent i cannot express and i gazed as though fascinated in all probability this was a man who when the ship foundered had been securely lashed to the mast for safety or for punishment i turned away at last with a shudder and walked aft the wreck was unquestionably some spanish or portuguese carrack or galleon as old as i have stated for you saw her shape when you stood on her deck and her castellated stern rising into a tower from her poop and poop royal as it was called proved her age as convincingly as if the date of her launch had been scored upon her what was in her hold thousands of pounds worth of precious ore in gold and silver bars and ingots for all i knew but had she been flushed to her upper decks with doubloons and ducats i would have exchanged them all for the sight of a ship or for a rill of fresh water i searched the horizon with feverish eyes there was nothing in sight the afternoon was advancing the sun was burning unbearably midway down the western sky and my thirst tormented me i dropped over the side and cut another steak of fish but though the moisture temporarily relieved me the salt of the water flowing upon it dried into my throat and increased my sufferings there was a light air blowing and the sea trembled to it into a deeper hue of blue and met in a glorious stream of twinkling rubies under the setting sun i counted half a score of wet black fins round about the island and understood that the sharks had recovered from their scare and had returned to see if the earthquake had cast up anything to eat when the sun sank the night came along in a stride the curl of the moon looked wanly down upon me and the sky flashed with starshine so rich and magnificent was the glow of the nearer luminaries i re-entered the ship and stepped to the cabin front over which extended a break or penthouse under which i might find some shelter from the dew that was already falling like rain and squatted down lasker fashion with my back against the shell armored bulkhead great father never had i known what solitude was till then there was no sound save the quiet foaming of waters draining from the wreck and the purring of the very light swell softly moving upon the beach and the faint scarcer audible whispering of the dew-laden draught of air stirring in the stony fossilized shrouds my throat felt like hot brass i tried to pray but could not imagination grew a little delirious and i would sometimes fancy that the terrible shape at the foot of the mainmast moved as if seeking to free itself and approach me there was a constant glancing of shooting stars on high swift sparklings and trailings of luminous dust and as on the previous night here and there upon the horizon a dim violet play of sheet lightning it was like being at the bottom of the sea alive there to be in this black shelly weed-smelling ship whether my thoughts came to me waking or sleeping i cannot tell but i know some mad fancies possessed me and upon the subtle canvas of the night 
imagination like a magic lantern flung a dozen febrile tinctured pictures and i particularly recollect conceiving that i was my own soul at the bottom of the ocean in the ship that in the green twilight of the valley in which i was many forms of dead men standing or lying or sitting preserving the postures in which they had come floating down into the darkly gleaming profound figures of sailors of different centuries clad in the garb of their times intermixed with old ordnance making coarse and rusty streaks upon the sand and the glitter of minted money the gleam of jewels and fish brightly apparelled and of shapes unknown to man floating round about the fragments of rainbow my dreams always wound up with imaginations of babbling drinks and then i'd wake with a froth upon my lips however i got some ease by leaving my handkerchief to soak in the dew and then sucking it several times during the night i had got on to the upper poop the deck above the poop anciently termed the poop royal and looked round me but there was nothing to see not a shadow to catch the eye the breeze freshened somewhat about midnight and the air was made pleasant by the musical noises of running waters i fell asleep an hour before dawn and when i awoke the early ashen line was brightening in the east the birth of the day is rapid in these parallels and the light of the morning was soon all over the sea and sky i turned to search the ocean and the first thing i saw was a brig not above half a mile from the island she had studding sails set and was going north creeping along before the breeze the instant i saw her i rushed on to the poop where my figure would be best seen and fell to flourishing my handkerchief like a maniac i sought to shout but my voice was even weaker than it had been after i fell overboard i have no power to describe my feelings whilst i waited to see what the brig would do i cursed myself for not having kept a lookout so that i might have had plenty of time to signal to her as she approached if she abandoned me i knew i must perish as every instant assured me that i had neither mental nor physical power to undergo another day and night without drink and without hope upon the island on a sudden she hauled up the lee clue of her mainsail boom ended her studding sails and put her helm over i knew what this signified and clasping my hands i looked up to god presently a boat was lowered and pulled toward the inland i dropped over the side tumbling down upon my nose in my weakness and made with trembling legs to the beach standing in my eagerness in the very curl of the wash there there were three men in the boat and they eyed me as they rowed over their shoulders as if i had been a spectre who are you mate and what country is this exclaimed the man who pulled stroke standing up to stretch his hand to me i pointed to my throat and gasped water i could barely articulate nothing in this wide world moves sailors like a cry to them for water in an instant the three men had dragged me into the boat and were straining like horses at their oars as they sent their boat flashing through the rippling water we dashed alongside he's dying of thirst was the cry i was bundled on deck the captain ran below and returned with a small draught of wine and water start with that said he you'll be fitter for a longer pull later on the drink gave me back my voice yet for a while i could scarce speak for the tears that swelled my heart 
are there any more of ye said the captain i answered no but what land's this he inquired an island uphove by an earthquake said i great thunder he cried and what's that arrangement in shells and weeds atop of it a vessel that's probably been there three hundred years at the bottom i answered the quake rose it hey just as it is said i well boil me cried the worthy fellow if it don't seem too good to be true mr fletcher trim sail sir best shove along shove along come sir step below with me for a rest and a bite and give me your tail a warily eaten meal with another sup of wine and water made me a new man we sat below a long while i telling my story he making notes and talking of the credit he would get for bringing home a report of a new country when suddenly the mate put his head into the skylight captain hello the island's gone sir what do you mean that we've sunk it no by the lord but that it sunk itself we ran on deck and where the island should have been was all clear sea the captain stared at the water with his mouth wide open nothing to report after all he cried i saw it founder exclaimed the mate i had my eye on it when it sank i've seen some foundering in my day but this beats all my goin' a fishin well said the captain to me we didn't come any too soon sir i hid my face in my hands the susan cray was the name of the brig that rescued me the hercules saw the first of the island and the susan cray the last of it hence as i said at the start it was reported by two vessels only end of section two